Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. I'd go to the moon in a nanosecond. Uh, the problem is we don't have the technology to do that anymore. We used to, but we uh, destroyed that technology and uh, it's a painful process to build it back again. When you said that just now, did it sound stupid to you? Kind of. We're not being told the truth, or at least the total truth. Uh, let's put it this way. Money trumps um, peace sometimes. <laughs> In other words, commercial interests are very powerful interests. Oh, well, if you were a man, I would punch you. I'd punch you right in the mouth. That's Bush. Bush League. Let me start off with two words. Made in America. Made in America. <laughs> what the fuck is with this guy? Who is he? Now I'm questioning everything. I'm going to do my own research, which is always dangerous, because that involves reading. I'm your huckleberry. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations. A new world order. A world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. You sit on a throne of lies. Is there a secret history of the United States intentionally hidden by the mainstream media? Could there be a secret society of fat money businessmen whose agenda has been the cause of every major war and economic depression? It's on my I've witnessed firsthand the power of ideas. I've seen people kill in the name of them. And die defending them. But you cannot kiss an idea. You cannot touch it. Or hold it. Ideas do not bleed. They do not feel pain. They do not laugh. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Tonight, we have one that's hits close home to me. Um, I grew up in northern New Jersey for the first 10 years, nine years of my life. And I had heard about these people, these mountain people that were in my town, basically. I grew up in this area. Um, I'd heard of bits and pieces of this and uh, something sparked my interest on it the other day. So I dug into it a little bit. I haven't had a lot of time to dig in or, or to finish my notes on the American antiquities work that I'm working on guys. I have like, I think I had like 65 pages of notes and I need to really trim that down. I've been working a little bit, but my son had off this week. It was his winter break. And I've been doing some work, as my patrons know, with um, Dave Zed, Brandon Thomas, and Matthew Smith this past week. Um, and we're going to be doing that again. And I have a couple other calls lined up. So we've got a busy schedule ahead. You will not be short of material. <clears throat> so before I get to tonight's, I want to share with you all a review okay and guys this helps the show in my eyes greatly i i don't ask much from my listeners 
all, if you listen on Apple, if you could go click the rating button, click the stars, leave a quick message. It's greatly appreciated. The more reviews we get, the more positive reviews we get, the better chance our my show will end up in the algorithm and more people will get to listen to it. So with that said, I want to thank Mallory, my good friend and patron, a treasure trove for we who question five stars, insightful podcast with lots of ideas to ponder. I've listened to almost every episode and love the deep dives Matt does on specific topics, such as the World's Fair and Disney. I find so much value in his research that I joined his Patreon and am enjoying the Zoom calls when I'm able to pop on. Ideas for future shows would be look more into remote viewing, telepathy, and breatharians. Invite a psychic to Monday Night Master Debaters. Thanks, Matt, and keep up the great work. Mallory and Tartaria. Guys, I love this kind of review. One, not only did she pump up my head a little bit, which I need these days. (laughs) It's been a rough rough start to the year. But the fact that she gave some ideas for future shows and growth for show, I, I really appreciate that. And I will definitely consider it because remote viewing is something I've been talking with. We've been talking with Dave Zed a little bit about um, on the uh, Electric Universe chats we've been having. Telepathy is another thing Dave mentions. So maybe we can get him in um, to talk some of that stuff because I'm fascinated by it. Now, the Breatharians, that's out there. I've, I've heard of them. I know of the idea. I just don't know anyone who has any good information, but I will dig into it and see if we can find somebody because all those topics are really cool. And guys, so it, leave a review. If you have suggestions for the show, you can always drop me a DM on Instagram or you can send me an email. Patreon. Guys, we have patreon.com slash the great deception podcast. My patrons, what you get is you get, you're the only ones who get to watch the Monday Night Master Debaters. You're the only ones uh, who get to see the exclusive bonus episodes, like the last two that I've dropped on Patreon the last two weeks um, regarding Electric Universe, Ley Lines, Cathedrals, all sorts of fun stuff that we had. Uh, I just dropped the second of those this week so if you're not out there guys you're missing out not only do i give you all the monday night masturbator you get to watch them all the great deception podcast videos are out there too and i put a lot of old books out there right now for the next couple weeks you're going to be getting the old american world fair books starting with new york in 1853 and working our way up probably till about 1915 with San Francisco. That's kind of where I go with the, my interest in the world's fairs. After that, it kind of loses its luster and starts getting very digital in a sense. But again, patreon.com. I got a couple tiers out there. Hop on board. And then you get the Zoom calls, which we just had one last week. And guys, it was great. Went for like three hours with some of you, three and a half. And we talked about such a wide variety of of topics. One of Jess, one of our good patrons, 
uh, brought up with the ringing rocks. And that started me on another path, looking into these ringing rocks, which if you don't know what those are, go check out my Instagram, which is the Great Deception Podcast. And you can check out the ringing rocks because that is something that's very interesting. They're found in Montana and Pennsylvania in the United States. So again, good group of people, great place to share ideas, um, great place to get more info if, if you're into the podcast. And you can also go get some merch. I have a merch store. Link is down below in, in the show notes. And guys, great t-shirts, great sweatshirts. I'm wearing one right now. I live in my Great Deception t-shirts and sweatshirts because honestly, they are comfortable as hell. So go get yours. Enjoy. I try and keep them as cheap as possible. I'm not making but a buck or two off off the shirts. Um, so I, I just want people to, to enjoy the product. Now, tonight's show. Let's get after it. We got the Jackson Whites of New Jersey, also known as the Ramapo Mountain Indians. Now, what what are these people? There's so many different legends out there. And growing up, I grew up in northern New Jersey. Like I said, I lived in Ringwood for a little bit and Oakland, which is kind of on either side of uh, where, where these guys are. And what's ironic is when I'm reading through this, I start seeing some of the names of some of these people. And they're names of guys that my father used to play softball against. He used to play fast pitch softball. And some of the names are names of these people and obviously relatives. And one of the things these the Jacks Whites were good at was softball. I don't know what it is, but man, they were known to be able to play softball. So what is the bigger picture here, right? Obviously, this is just, you know, a little little tribe in, in northern new jersey no this is again what when i'm looking at this i it gets me to a deeper idea of people and, and groups of people being slandered you know when thought comes to mind rednecks right these stereotypes hillbilly now jackson white the term is the equivalent of the n-word uh in in many people's eyes so why are these people allowed to be called this? Yet there's a certain group of people who you can't criticize or you will be shut down. Your bank account can be shut off. You can be removed from social media. You can basically be wiped for just questioning them. Ask Kanye. See what's going for him. And, and that's what's led me to believe that... Again, in this upside down world, a lot of the times the people that they degrade, that they stereotype, are people that they fear. Because in reality, these people are pretty powerful, but they just don't know it. They've been told otherwise. They've been shunned. They've been shut out, ostracized, victimized. Look at the natives in America, right? This whole idea of, of Europeans manifest destiny. No, it was genocide. They came over here, slaughtered the natives, slaughtered the people that were here, claimed the land, and then built a, a nice story around it to, to glorify 
the atrocities that they did to benefit one group of people and to hurt another. And a lot of that ties into this because these people didn't want anything to do with the system. It got to a point where they're like, fuck it. We're going to the mountains. We're getting as far away from these crazy people as possible. And we're going to live in isolation. We're going to live off the land. We're going to live how we want to live. Not by these crazy white man societal rules. And I don't blame them. Especially today. Look at where we are today. I mean, society is insane. People have lost their damn minds. And what was done to these people is disgusting, outrageous. I don't, again, it's another group of people that, I mean, growing up, I had laughed about, you know, I'd been to all these people. They're, they're just, held, you know, mountain folk. They're these crazy inbred people that are, you know, very, they're savages. They're angry. They're violent. And again, people make these generalizations without getting to know these people. A lot of it stems from fear, right? We hate what we can't, we don't know. That's the way a lot of people are. And that's why a lot of problems today that we run into is not because people can't get along. Because people are scared. And they're afraid that if if someone thinks differently from them, that that's a threat to them. When in reality, diversity is going to kill you. Right? Diversity, look back in history. Diversity doesn't work well. People work well in, in similar groups. I'm not, I'm not saying it can't work. No, but it just doesn't historically. And what they're trying to do now by flooding this country, by allowing this country to be invaded, is destroying it. Again, we're getting away from the natural way, the native of this land, and we're just eating at it quickly and the and these people here are another example and the interesting twist to this story is were these people recently you know in recent history are these people subjugated even more and looked down upon even more and not recognized by the federal government as a tribe a native tribe is it for financial reasons is it for political reasons what does donald trump have to do with the jackson whites i was like whoa this gets interesting really fast so before we get into it i do just want to thank our newest patron which is samantha karen who joined last week Samantha, welcome aboard, and I look forward to interacting with you. Guys, everyone can join. Hop on. Let's go. Get the Patreon growing. To the show. Here we go. Let's roll. 
So we look at the Jackson Whites here, and the Rimpopo Mountains are a forested, rugged chain of the Appalachian Mountains. Snuggled in the mountains since before the Revolutionary War, these people were largely forgotten and overlooked. That all changed in the 1840s when the railroads cut through the Ramapo Mountains. Rail workers would travel to the mountainsides to harvest wood for use for rails and fuel for trains. Reluctant to share personal information, the people of the Ramapo Mountains told the workers fictionalized accounts of their history and lifestyle, their lack of writing, isolated lifestyle, fictionalized tales, and unique appearance caused speculation from the outside world about their history and led to the creation of legends and folklore. And that's basically what I grew up on, was the legends and folklore of these people. Now, what you'll see here, and what, what's so interesting about this area, is these are some very isolated mountains. But if you look at the middle picture here, from these same mountains, you can see the skyline of Manhattan. So it's not that far from the city. But these people have lived a remote lifestyle for centuries. And they've modernized, obviously, a little bit. So what we'll see here is, is I've shown you a couple maps. This map up on the top, you'll see right below where the, you know, this cross section is. Here's Manhattan right here. So here's New York City. And then if you go a little bit northeast... We're going to look just below the New York, New Jersey border. Right in here is the area that we're talking about. Okay, so if you go down to this other map down here, here's Ringwood. That's where I was born. Um, and then you look down here, here's the Rampo Mountain. And if you go up to this map, that Rampo Mountain would be right in here. So we're looking at northern Jersey, just outside of New York City. For many years now, there have been stories of a degenerate race of people who live in isolated existence removed from the civilized world of New Jersey's Ramapo Mountains. As far back as the Revolutionary War, New Jerseyans have heard and told tales of a motley group of social outcasts who have taken refuge in the northeastern hills of the state and inbred to the point of mutation. The group, which has been alleged to, uh, to be comprised of a mongrel hybrid of renegade Indians, escaped slaves, Hessian mercenary deserters, and West Indian prostitutes have come to be known as the Jackson Whites. And again, it's a lot of legend and folklore. Okay, so now, Hessian. I want to I just let you guys know what, what a, a Hessian mercenary is. Okay, so Hessians were German soldiers who served as auxiliaries to the British Army during the American Revolutionary War. The term is an American word for all Germans who fought on the British side, since 65% of them came from the German states of Hesh Kassel and Hesh Hanu. Known for their discipline and martial prowess, around 30,000 Germans fought for the British during the war. It was about a quarter of the British land forces. And here's a couple pictures of some Hessian soldiers, right? These are just Germans. And what happened was after, at the end of the war, they didn't want to be indentured anymore to the to the Brits, and some of them fled. And they fled into the mountains, and they bred with these people. And we'll get into that, because there was, there was basically a couple waves of how these people came to be. So in 1972, an American anthropologist, Daniel Collins, described the physical characteristics of this group in detail. 
He says hair texture can be kinky or straight and that some individuals have facial characteristics which appear to be distinctly Indian. Others seem more Caucasian or Negro in their conformation. Collins described the skin pigmentations as ranging from brown through red-brown, tan, called coffee locally, white, and albino. And that's what you saw. There's such a wide variety. I mean, look at the pictures here. You have what would be deemed a black woman on the on the far right. Then you have a what would they would call coffee um, uh, pigment in the middle, and then albino female right here. And then again over here, we have different different skin tones. You have some white over here. I mean, it's all mixed up. And now, what's interesting is. In, in one of the articles, they made a distinction between um, albinism being albino and piebaldism. Okay, so the difference is uh, piebaldism has uh, the cells are able to produce pigment, but the ability is turned off. In albinism, the cells lack any ability to produce pigment. Okay, so there's no chance of pigment. We, so just a little information for you so now the origins of this group it's tough to find a real solid answer as to how they became known a as the jackson whites so where and where the term came from it was first heard in 1878 in the rockland county journal but there was no explanation given um as to the etymology of it According to one theory, the name derives from a 19th century use of Jack, which was a slang for a runaway slave. And the uh, original formulation may have been Jacks and Whites, which was corrupted in the repetition. So if, if they were originally known as the slaves and the runaway slaves and the Whites, the Jacks and the Whites, which just got, you know, through the telephone game, Jacks and Whites eventually is what they became known as i tend to lean with that one that one seems to make the most sense um and there's there's a couple more this one right here is such a stretch another traces the slur to a presidential election in 1828 when andrew jackson was looking to expand the white male voting population and rounded up non-landowners and other mixed raced mountaineers who could pass and by calling them jackson whites he could uh get them to vote I, I just find that really hard to believe. But the theory, uh, the theory that stuck, despite the lack of any documentary evidence, which is always the case with this shit, right? There's always some story that's made up that has no backing whatsoever that just gets run with, and that's going to end up being the narrative. And this is no different here, because it says... Um, a British captain or general. Now, they don't even know what he his rank was. They don't even know his name. They just know that he was named Jackson, who contra uh, contracted to supply the Redcoats garrisoned on Manhattan Island with some reliable entertainment to boost flagging morale in the late stages of the Revolutionary War. Jackson, as the story goes, was a pimp, and he filled 20 ships with England's most dispensable women, 3,500 of them from the slums of Liverpool, Southampton, and London, but one or two more uh, of the ships got lost or sank en route. For expediency's sake, he then sent for replacements from the British West Indies. The horrors 
were known to their eager clients in New York as Jackson Whites or Jackson's Blacks, respectively. When the British defeat was imminent and the time came uh, to evacuate, the women fled west across the Hudson rather than to sexual servitude. And by whom were the prostitutes first welcome? By the Indians and slaves and Hessians and outlaws camped in the hilly Ramapos. So that's how there's going to be another influx, another group that's into this little melting pot they have up here. Now, here's here's some clippings from different newspapers, just some quotes. So here's one from uh, a community of outcasts article uh, from the Appleton's Journal of Literature, Science and Art from March 23rd, my son's birthday, in 1872. They buried themselves deep in the fat fastnesses and gorges of the mountains and reared children wilder and more savage than themselves. In 1900, J.M. Van Halen or Van Valen's History of Bergen County, they bear little resemblance to the Indians, yet as tradition gives it, they are descendants of Hessians, Indians, and Negroes, but know nothing of their ancestry. So ignorant have they become. Or much like most of people in this country, they don't know their history. They know what's been told to them as their history. So this whole idea of knowing their ancestry and, and being ignorant of it, please ask the orphans on the orphan trains about their ancestry. 1906-1907, the New Jersey Historical Society's annual report. The secretary wrote that his understanding had been that they, the Jackson Whites, were a people of mixed Indian and Negro blood. The Indian strain showing of their reticence and the Negro strain in their indolence and improvidence. Oh, to be so naive. 1911, University of Pennsylvania anthropologist named Frank Speck wrote, Algonquin Indians, probably minisinks of the Delaware, with some of the Tuscarora who lingered for the rest of the in the Ramapo Valley on their way from Carolina in 1714 to join their colleagues, the Iroquois in New York State. To this small nucleus became added from time to time runaway Negro slaves and perhaps freedmen from the Dutch colonial plantations in the adjoining counties of New Jersey. Vagabond white men of all sorts also contributed a share to the community from the early days until now. The Jackson Whites may be regarded, therefore, as a type of triple race mixture. Wow. They're like super soldiers in today's era. A triple race. Woo. Good luck. Good luck stopping them. 1911, the head of New Jersey's uh, Vinland's training school, Henry Herbert Goddard, entitled The Jackson Whites, A Study in Racial Degeneracy. This guy loved shitting on different races. The Indian blood found in the Jackson Whites, whether it came down through individuals held as slaves or through isolated free Indians who intermarried with the emancipated Negroes, is supposed to have belonged to a remnant of the Algonquin tribe uh, to the Mincy or Wolf Clan, who were the natives of the Upper Delaware Valley in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York. There were also a few families of the Tuscarora Indians who remained in the Rampo Mountains after the tribe had made their uh, three years sojourn from 1710 to 1713 
on its way to join the five nations in New York State. Then in 1936, we have a book entitled The Origins of the Jackson Whites of the Rampo Mountains by J. John C. Storms or J.C. Storms. Originally, the Rampo Mountain region was a favorite resort of the Haganigashaki, the Hackensack Indians, part of the Lene Lape, Lenape family of the Iroquois. In fact, they were part of the Algonquin, not the Iroquois language group. These Aborigines had practically all disappeared by the end of the 17th century. However, a few remained together with a scattered population that had sought the security of the mountains to evade their brother white man, his laws, and his customs. Thus, it was sort of a no man's land. Another source of the Lord fascination, particularly as eugenics movement gained momentum in the early decades of the 20th century, was the group's mysterious racial makeup. They were a singular people, as journalists were apt to put it, combining Indian, African, European features, high cheekbones, uh, aquiline noses, dark skin, and red hair. Albert Pace and Terhune, the best-selling children's author, Lad, a dog, lived in Rampo Valley and cast as villains in one of his novel these quote-unquote blue-eyed niggers who quote-unquote resembled East Indians more than any other race. So, no hatred there, bigotry there, nothing to see. I mean, let's go on. So, we will look at their genetic history. The first real influx of a permanent population in the Rampo Mountains was in 1714. This was a remnant of the Tuscarora Indians. Arrived at the Rampos, uh, a stop was made for a time. Perhaps it was because there would be found congenial spirits among the remaining Hagenshakis and the wild renegades who were hiding there. But the ultimate object was to unite theirs with the powerful five nations that ruled the country to the northward. The second strain in the Jackson White's bloodline, according to Storms, was contributed by Hessian mercenaries fighting for the British during America's Revolutionary War. And that's why I wanted to explain it to you before. Reaching America under duress, placed in the forefront at every important battle in which they were engaged, beaten by their officers with the broadside of swords if they attempted to retreat, made to do menial labor of their British companions, their fate was a particularly cruel one. With no interest in the outcome of the military struggle, unfamiliar with the theory of liberty for which the Americans were fighting, it is not to be wondered that they proved unfaithful and deserted the army at every opportunity. In the fighting uh, that took place in the vicinity of New York City from the camps scattered throughout this region and the marches across New Jersey, these men, known by the general name Hessians, fled to the nearest place of safety, the Rampo Mountains. There was no possibility of escape, no opportunity to return to their native land, so they made for themselves homes in their retreat, mated with those they found already there, and reared families. Now, the third genetic element of the Jackson White's lineage, uh, according to Storms, was derived from the English and West Indian women who were forcibly brought to New York to serve as concubines for British soldiers, and that's the 3,500 women I was telling you about. The British War Office had a problem on its hands, keeping New York City loyal to the crown as a Tory city, while keeping thousands of its soldiers in the military camp that General Clinton had established there. 
Among the publications that cited the prostitution fable as fact was uh, this magazine, which in 1938 ran a feature by George Weller called The Jackson Whites. Weller, who uh, later won a Pulitzer Prize for Second uh, World War reporting, conceded some difficulties in the assignment. He said, it is harder to find out something that happened in the Rampo Mountains two generations ago than what happened in the Fiji Islands at the same period. Before giving uh, exacting, though unsubstantiated, details about the prostitutes, they all lived in a stockade in uh, Lispinard's Meadow, at which uh, now a part of Greenwich Village, and about Captain Jackson's re- uh, remuneration, 7,000 pounds for 3,500 women. But Weller's main focus lay elsewhere. Factories, summer bungalows, and Boy Scouts were crowding his subjects' homeland and threatening not only their privacy, but their distinct way of life. Now, what I, you know, what's interesting here is that he, he goes, it was harder to find something that happened in two generations there than over in the Fiji Mountains. Now, this just gets to the bigger idea of American history. And how it is so hard to understand what actually went on here. With all the manipulation that's gone on, all the fuckery that they've done with the history books and the stories and the upside down of the good guys and bad guys. Question everything. So here's the story of the 35. So 3,500 young women whom England felt it could very well dispense and transport them to America to become intimate property of the army quartered in New York City, thus relieving the tension now felt that at any point these same soldiers might take themselves such of the residents as temporarily pleased their fancy. Now, what you have to understand about these 3,500 women was that he would just grab them, right? A lot of these women were kidnapped. They, they weren't taken by their free will. You know, they didn't volunteer to go across. These women were slaves. So a British captain or general named Jackson, and we went over, yeah, he was a pimp. And then he had Jackson's whites and Jackson's blacks. So that's the story of the 35. And then supposedly at the end of the war, these women all, not all, but all, uh, some of them bolted to the hills and mixed in with the Ramapo Mountain Indians. So in 1783, when New York was repatriated by the American Army forces, the stockaded women was evacuated and the prisoners beat a hasty retreat along with the British soldiers and Tories. Suddenly, someone remembered the hundreds of English women imprisoned at Lisbonard's Meadow A hurried order was given. A messenger rode pell-mell to the meadows, unbarred, and threw open the gate of the stockade and hurried back to escape from the city with his companions. Out of the stockade gate poured motley throngs of women after several years of confinement, their noisome quarters. Imagine that, just being locked up for years. By far, the larger uh, portion of the human stream that flowed out of Lisbonsard's meadow was or Lisbonards was on that eventful evacuation day of 1783 by some unknown means reached the west shore of the Hudson. The horde has been estimated at about 3,000 or slightly more. 
So the company was added a few soldiers who preferred to cast in their lot with the refugees, having formed a quasi-attachment for some member of it. Tories, too, who had been unable to secure passage to the Canadian ports, considered their bodily safety rather than their social standing. Then, too, the confusion of departure afforded an added opportunity for a number of Hessians to make their escape. Then followed another memorable trek across the Hackensack Meadows, up the Saddle River Valley, these derelicts made their way on foot, pillaging of orchards and deliberate raids on fields and gardens provoked the farmers who drove the wa uh, wanderers on with hard words and often with harder blows, all of which was retaliated. No one wanted these unfortunates. At last, with Oakland passed, the crowd entered the Ramapo Pass and soon found itself in a country that, while wild and inhospitable in character, yet offered the boon of peace, and there was no one to drive them away. Here, the colony scattered, finding shelter in the woods and among the rocks. Here, the individual members would find found companionship of peaceful Indians, escaped outlaws, Hessians, and runaway slaves. There was ample companionship, and it was readily accepted. And that's crazy. You know, like I said, I lived in Oakland. I played soccer for the Ramapo Soccer Club when I was a little guy. And uh, and this is how they made their way to this area. They trekked from the Hudson. So, you know, just to show the lunacy of, you know, how they, the rumors and people's views of people affect the way things happen. I mean, in 1932, they questioned that it might have been the Jackson Whites that kidnapped the Lindbergh baby. So the London Times coverage of the Lindbergh baby's disappearance in 1932 included a report that state troopers had be begun searching the hill country, peopled sparsely by the Jackson Whites, which lies at the back of Colonel Lindbergh's house. So they thought the Jackson Whites might have done it. I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous. But the mountain people, as they're known, is a euphemism for what locals used to call the Jackson Whites, a racial slur that reference equate to the word nigger. They call themselves Ramapo Mountain Indians or Ramapo Lenape Nation, using an old Dutch spelling of their name of the river that cuts through the Hudson and North Jersey Highlands, although suburban whites tend to think of them as racially uh, indeterminate clansfolk. The Ramapos number a few thousand marrying largely among themselves and are concentrated in three primary settlements on and around Stag Hill in Mawa, in the village of Hilburn, New York, and in the hollow below uh, Stag Hill's northern slope and west of Stag Hill in Ringwood, New Jersey, in the remains of the old iron mining complex. These settlements span two states and three counties. So Phyllis Mann, who's one of the people... Um, that lives up there. There was a reporter that went up there and she didn't really know what to expect going up there. You know, and she, she's heard all these crazy things. So she goes to Phyllis man. She's like, yeah, she's like, it's so crazy. She's like, these, these generalizations about us are so ridiculous. She's like, there's still people today. They'll say, Oh, don't go up there. They'll kill you. And they'll boil you and eat you for supper. You go on the computer and they don't even say it's the Ramapo Mountain Indians. They say it's the Jackson Whites. Now, why don't they get to know us before they say these things? 
Okay. I, I mean, in, in today's day and age, where when if you you know Jack, we heard that Jackson Whites is is the equivalent of calling them niggers. So why is that allowed? But yet other groups, you'd be you know canceled for saying something of the same ilk. It just doesn't make sense. Again, it's people, it, it's picking and choosing, right? It's like, think about it this way. Why no one put up, a, made, set a peep for the most part. And I'm talking about the mainstream while we bombed the shit out of brown people for the last 20 years, right? No one put up a fight. Everybody cheered it on, said it had to be done. We we're fighting terrorists. But yet now, when Ukraine, a you know predominantly white nation with you know white people, is getting bombed, oh, it's it's an outrageous. This is war crime. Kamala's up there uh, talking about crimes against humanity. This is the insanity that we live in. Pick and choose who are the people that we want to support. Who's it okay to kill? Who's it okay to hate? Who's it okay to use racial slurs against? And then who can't we even talk about? Who's the boogeyman that you can't make jokes about? Right? Think about that, guys. So, in 2006, there was an incident up on Stag Hill involving the Rampo Mountain Indians. So what was going on up there was there was some, uh, what are they, the the woods police. I don't know what you call them, rangers. So, uh, and they were on their ATVs up in the mountains. And there was a Rampo Mountain Indian teenager that was up there with a knife. And he had his uh, 22 and he was going out. And he was going to go shoot some of the old cars that were up there, do some target practice, or, you know, maybe get a deer or, or something he could bring home to eat. Well, he gets pulled over by the forest rangers and they find out that his gun is unregistered, unlicensed. So they go to place him under arrest. Well, the others, other Rampo Mountain Indians that are up there start going over and they're like, why are you giving this kid a hard time? You know, leave him alone. You guys don't even need to be up here. He's not bothering. He's not going to hurt anybody. No, we didn't call for you. We didn't ask for you to be up here. Go away. And so, uh, Emil man confronts the police officers. So there's three police officers, a woman and two males. And the, then Otis man comes up also. And now these guys are unarmed, mind you, unarmed. And supposedly they were threatening the officers. They were talking in a hostile manner. And the officers sprayed pepper spray. And then one of the officers pulled out his pistol and shot man twice in the chest. And he died. I think it was like a week or so later, week to 10 days later, he, he died from the shooting. Now, when it goes to trial, 
the female officer claimed that she was so scared that she soiled her pants while she was firing uh, pepper spray at these unarmed people. And, and there was women and children there, too. There was multiple witnesses to this. And, of course, how does it turn out? In 2009, Officer Chad Walker is acquitted of killing Emil Mann. Now, in a civil suit, the family of Emil Mann was awarded $2.2 million in uh, compensatory damages by a grand jury, which found that the ranger had used unreasonable force. No shit. And then recently... Uh, not recently, but then after the fact, another 150K was awarded to the family. So the family got a little over $2 million for the murder of Emil Mann. But this is how it works, because why were the cops scared? Cops were scared because they believed the stereotypes, because they believed the bullshit. Listen, these people just want to be left alone. Now, you come rolling up in their territory, unannounced. You're going to have a problem. It's not your land. Right? And that's what people have to understand. This, this the whole shit about, you know, if, if, if this is somebody's property, you better respect their damn property. Enough of this doing whatever you want, wherever you want, without any consequences. Those days have got to come to an end. And people have to start standing their grounds minding your boundaries, and stand for what you believe in. Because pretty soon, you're going to be pushed to the mountains like these people. Or you're going to be living in a shitty, shitty, everything's monitored, technocratic, corporatocracy, smart city, you know, AI, up the ass, everything. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Is the real reason... For degrading and slandering these people related to casinos. Maybe Atlantic City or Donald Trump. Because here's the thing. If these people were to be recognized by the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs, they could then open up a casino on their land. It just so happens New Jersey has Atlantic City. A gangster's heaven. A mafia paradise. And it's no wonder our former president, Donald Trump, owns property there and had something to say about these people. So it's interesting because the Rampo Mountain people themselves will tell you a variety of stories to explain their own ancestry, right? From the Dutch, the Hessian, the Tuscarora Indian sagas, all of them, how much of these people's accounts of their own history has been passed down uh, from their forebearers and how much has been tainted by the repeated publication of various texts on the subject is unknown. But most insist that they are really a tribe of Indians called the Ramapo. And actually, it's the Lamapo, but uh, Lamalo or something like that. But when the Germans came over, they replace the L's with R's, so it's Ramapo. Though they bear little physical resemblance to Native Americans, most appear to be light-skinned African Americans, 
They have been petitioning the federal government for 20 years to be recognized as a legitimate American Indian tribe. They've been recognized by state governments of New Jersey and New York, but not the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs. They've denied all their petitions. Sounds fishy to me. How can they be recognized at the state level, but not the federal? This just doesn't make any sense. Such recognition is considered crucial because it brings certain federal benefits, such as housing and health care assistance and the right to operate a casino. According to the Bureau, though, the Ramapos are not a tribe at all, but rather descendants of settlers with African and Dutch blood who moved to the area from Manhattan in search of farmland beginning in the late 1600s. Now, the Ramapo Mountains Indians incorporated in 1978, and that's a huge thing because now they're coming out. They're coming out from being these quote-unquote mountain people, and, and they're starting to legitimize. Taking charge of their public identity for the first time, they cited stories passed down by their ancestors about retreating into the woods to dance around fires on a flat rock and sacred traditions like sprinkling tobacco on pigs before a slaughter. They established a self-governing structure involving three clans, the wolf, the deer, and the turtle, representing the family settlements in Mawa, Hilburn, and Ringwood, respectively. New Jersey's legislature passed a resolution acknowledging them as a tribe in 1980, but the federal vetting process, with its stricter standards of documentation, proved more difficult, and organized gambling interests in Atlantic City lobbied against them. There you go just to cover their nut. AC lobbied against these people, not for any uh, discrepancy as to the legitimacy, just because they didn't want them to have a casino or have the potential to have a casino and put up a threat to their empire. Now, here's where the former president steps in. Donald Trump said in 1995... After a dozen Ramapos banged drums in front of his Manhattan office. Now they are all they were back then they were protesting in front of Trump Towers all the time. He goes, they sure as hell don't look like Indians to me. <laughs> Typical Trump. The Bureau of Indian Affairs denied the Ramapos final petition three years later, ruling that they had failed to meet three of the seven criteria required for federal recognition. Now on top of all this, there was a Ford motor plant in Mawa that just polluted the shit out of the old mines, out of a lot of Ringwood, a lot of Mawa, a lot of this area they used to dump their old paint, their old... uh Anything that was toxic. They're, all their toxic waste was dumped into mines, into rivers, and it's all Ramapo land. So there's this documentary on HBO, actually, called Man versus Ford. And it's about the uh, Ramapo Lenape tribe taking on Ford Motor Company and suing them. And so here, here's how it goes. Less than uh, three months earlier in 2006, 
Some 600 Ramapos, represented by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., yes, the same one, among others, has filed a mass tort suit against Ford Motor Company and its contractors, as well as the Bureau, uh, a borough of Ringwood, for dumping of toxic waste. More than four decades ago, Ford dumped millions of gallons of toxic paint sludge in the woods surrounding the site of its Mawa, New Jersey assembly plant, now closed, according to the EPA. When it opened, the plant was the largest in the U.S., with more than 6 million cars rolled off the assembly line there from 1955 to 1980. But with large-scale production came large-scale pollution. Decades later, some of that toxic sludge remains full of lead, benzene, arsenic, and chromium. All healthy. All good for you. None of them cause cancer. From 1955 until 1980, Ford uh, operated an assembly plant in Mawa memorialized in Bruce Springsteen's Johnny 99 near the base of Stag Hill. For several years in the late 60s and early 70s, while the plant was turning out hundreds of Fairlanes and Galaxies a day, the automaker's contractors poured millions of gallons of Rangoon Red and Brittany Blue paint sludge and other untreated waste into a Ringwood landfill adjacent to the former mining company homes, as well as into a couple old mine holes. You know, just how you get rid of toxic waste. Just find a hole and pour it down. A few months before the lawsuit was filed, the Bergen Record published a five-part investigative series titled Toxic Legacy, describing a wide variety of illnesses, from the chronic nosebleeds to leukemia and rare autoimmune disorders, among the Ramapos in Ringwood. The paper conducted soil tests and found lead and antimony levels near some residences that were in excess of 100 times the recommended safety limits. 100 times! and photographed orange pools of benzene near a creek bed. Don't worry, the paint sludge won't kill off the lowlifes in Ringwood, someone commented on ATVRiders.com. With the inbreeding, the fuckers in Mawa will eventually die too. This place would be better off without them. Class act, right? Governor John Corzine and Lisa, uh, Lisa Jackson who was then the commissioner of New Jersey's Department of Environmental Protection, met with tribal leaders and promised a thorough investigation. The EPA mandated a Superfund cleanup of the mine, uh, mine area by Ford in the 1980s in order to further remediation beginning five years ago. Now, this was in the mid-2000s, leading to the removal of an additional 35,000 tons of sludge and soil. In September 2009, the details of a settlement in the dumping case were leaked. A reported $10 million in damages with no admission of liability by the defendants. Ford does not deny dumping, but contends that it was far from alone in doing so, and that moreover, whatever toxins remain in the soil may be related to leftover tailings from the mine operation. The residents' lifestyle and generally poor health care, it argues, may account for many of the illnesses. So blame the people, right? Anyone but you. Right? We did it, but it wasn't just us. Meanwhile, you made millions of dollars and don't give a shit about the people. These are the same people who would buy your fucking cars and you're poisoning their soil. 
and then telling them, yeah, but we don't want to take responsibility for it. You deal with it. It's your problem now. Right? Vincent Mann, chief of the Turtle Clan uh, of the uh, Rampo Indi uh, Mountain Indians and other of the Rampo tribe joined environmental scientists and community leaders on June 8th to plant a sacred medicine garden on land that was once among the most contaminated in the state. The Ford Motor Company paid for the medicine garden. More than four decades ago, Ford dumped millions of toxic sludge uh, in the woods surrounding the sites in Mawa and um, we picked this site for the medical garden or medicine garden because the massive core of lead paint was at this site. Chuck Stead, the environmental scientist, told the gathering 42,000 tons of hazardous waste were removed from our well field and it cost us nothing. It cost Ford $15 million. Stead and Ramapo Town Supervisor Christopher St. Lawrence worked with the New York State Department of Environmental Conser Conservation to negotiate a full cleanup of the Wellfield site by Ford in 2013. So it says, we pushed the Ford Motor Company very hard uh, to the table with us. After many years of back and forth, they did ameliorate this site and remove all the contamination that was here. That's bullshit. We also pushed forward a little bit to have the healing garden here to kind of rectify and use the moment in time as a tipping point from incredible degradation that has been done here. A Ford representative scheduled to speak at the event did not show up. Class act, Ford. Ford has agreed, agreed to do this as part of our ongoing efforts to work cooperatively with the community, John Holt. A Ford spokesman said in an email after the event, adding that the remediation project manager scheduled to attend the event had a personal obligation. Of course he did. Prior commitment, right? In other parts of the Rampo Mountains, the paint sludge remains. One of the company's biggest dump sites in Ringwood has yet to be fully cleaned up. Many members of the Rampo tribe want to see the contamination removed completely from Ringwood as it was from the Ramapo well field. Three years after the Ford plant shut its doors in 1980, the EPA put the company's dump sites in Ringwood on its Superfund list of the most contaminated sites in the United States. After declaring that Ringwood sites had been appropriate clean, appropriately cleaned in 1994, the EPA found much more contamination. Ringwood was restored to the Superfund list in 2006. The latest EPA cleanup plan for Ringwood is estimated to cost $46.7 million paid for by Ford. Ford has been working cooperatively with the federal uh, EPA to develop a final remediation plan for the upper Ringwood site. The EPA is expected to make a record of decision on the final plan sometime this year. And this was back in, uh, I think, like 2007. The Rampo said that the exposure to the toxic chemicals on the land they used to hunt, fish, and grow food has given the approximately 3,500 members of the tribe in the area higher rates of cancer, birth defects, and other health problems. Many of the tribal elders remember playing on the brightly colored sludge as children. 
Sounds a lot like East Palestine right now, right? Mm. Just let those people play there. Federal environmental officials reached a $21 million settlement late Monday with the Ford Motor Company. Okay, I think this was 2013. Um, uh, and Ringwood on a uh, controversial cleanup of the Bureau uh, Burroughs sprawling Superfund site that leaves will leave ten uh, tons of polluted soil in place under a barrier. So they're just going to bury it. The agreement filed in the U.S. District Court is another step toward affirming the plan that would keep 166,000 tons of contaminated soil at the O'Connor Disposable Area, despite the objections of the residents who live nearby, including many members of the Ramapo-Lenape tribe. The EPA declared it clean and removed it from the Superfund list, only to reinstate it after a series uh, last decade by the record showing that the paint sludge was still strewn across the forest mountains of Ringwood. But the EPA originally had planned to have Ford and the Bureau pay $32.6 million to remove the contamination at O'Connor off Peters Mine Road. But at the last minute, Ringwood officials introduced plans to build a new recycling center paid for by Ford on an asphalt barrier atop O'Connor. The $21 million settlement would also pay to cap Cannon Mine and Peters Mine at the site where Ford contractors dumped waste. In addition, contaminated soil and other material will be removed from around the opening of the pit near Peter's mine. So basically they're just going to seal it in the mines, pave over it on the street or on the land and build a recycling center over it. So it'll be somebody else's problem down the road generations from now, as that just seeps out into the soil around Sure, surely healthy for these people. Guys, this has been fun. This is one that, you know, like I said, it hit home to me because this is where I started my life in this area. And I didn't know shit about these people. I still don't know a lot, but I know more than I knew then. And I understand where they're coming from and... I don't understand the vitriol towards them. I don't understand the, you know, in today's day and age, it's, it's, I don't know. They're treated like second-class citizens. And again, we look at these corporations and what they do and get away with. It's just sickening. You know, and they, they expect everyone else to take care of it. Meanwhile, they're cranking in record profits. And these people are dying of cancer and birth defects and shit like that. Like, come on. At what point do we really push back against these corporations and say, fuck you, fuck your profits. It's time to, to focus on people. No more numbers, no more dollars and cents. It's people that matter here because we are as far away from people mattering as possible i'm in it i work for a giant corporation and i'm just a number in the cock 
And that's what, you know, and I feel like the, I feel like these people sometimes, man, I just want to withdraw from this nonsense. I don't want to play their stupid games anymore. I don't want to be part of these stupid rules and land of make-believe where, you know, I, I have to respect your stupid pronouns and where, you know, this just upside down inversion that's going on. I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of the natural way of life. And that's what it seems like these people are getting closer to. Yeah. Now there was some inbreeding right now. It stopped at first cousins, which if you look at a lot of the Royals, that's the same shit they do. Right. All these bloodlines, they're doing the same shit within their own families. We don't say boo. Why? Because they got all the money. Because they have the power. Because they're of the chosen bloodlines, right? And these people are just, ah, ah, savages. I mean, come on. We're all the same here. And that's what we have to start realizing is that those that are in power that think they're superior, they are not superior. In fact, they may be inferior and need to be taken down a notch. And we need to get back to the natural way. And that's the way these people seem to want to live. Just be left alone. They don't want to live by the white man's laws, pay taxes. They want to live natural according to the land in, in, in harmony with the land. And I respect that. And I respect these people. And I'm not calling them the Jackson whites anymore. They are the Ramapo mountain Indians. And, you know, I, uh, I love episodes like this because man, I, I changed the way I look at things, changed the way I look at people. And it made me think hard about why are certain groups degraded, slandered, made the butt of jokes, yet others you can't touch. They're sacred cows. And if you go after them, you will pay the price. You know who I'm talking about. Who's the group that you can't joke about? Who's the group that there's a couple groups that are ultra protected, right? You can't, can't go after them. It's their safe space. You will be canceled. Their day will come. Don't you worry. It's just the upside down world. When the pendulum swings back, oh, it's going to be a rough one for them. I hate to say it, but let's roll out of here with, uh, I just wanted to show you this cool little montage I found of the modern portraits of the Rampo Indians, the Rampo Indians of today. And I think it's really cool. So guys, do me a favor. Follow, share, like, tell your friends. Go check out the merch store. Go check out patreon.com slash the Great Deception Podcast. Leave a review. Share, like. I appreciate each and every one of you. Stay strong and question everything. Just don't mention anything.
troubles causes of that plan, of course, is to induce the gradual surrender of American sovereignty, piece by piece and step by step, to various international organizations, of which the United Nations is the outstanding but far from the only example. Now, here are the aims for the United States. One, greatly expanded government spending for every conceivable means of getting rid of ever larger sums of American money as wastefully as possible. Two, higher and then much higher taxes. Three, an increasingly unbalanced budget despite the higher taxes. Four, wild inflation of our currency. Five, government controls of prices, wages, and materials supposedly to combat inflation. Six, greatly increased socialistic controls over every operation of our economy and every activity of our daily lives. This is to be accompanied naturally and automatically by a correspondingly huge increase in the size of our bureaucracy and in both the cost and reach of our domestic government. Seven, Far more centralization of power in Washington and the practical elimination of our state lines. There is a many-faceted drive at work to have our state lines eventually mean no more within the nation than our county lines do now within the states. Eight, the steady advance of federal aid to and control over our educational system, leading to complete federalization of our public education. Nine, a constant hammering into the American consciousness of the horror of modern warfare. The beauties and the absolute necessity of peace. Peace always on communist terms, of course. 
And ten, the consequent willingness of the American people to allow the steps of appeasement by our government, which amount to a piecemeal surrender of the rest of the free world and of the United States itself.